The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 157 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is dealing with diabetes, diet, and daily living, how family caregivers help. Just a quick word on diabetes. It's usually a lifelong disease in which levels of sugar in the blood are too high because of problems associated with the hormone insulin. With these problems, the body is unable to handle the high sugar levels properly, and harm, sometimes very serious harm, occurs without effective treatment. The two main types of diabetes are type 1 diabetes, which typically develops in children, adolescents, or teenagers. Immediately it's diagnosed, insulin treatment is started. Type 2 diabetes, uh, that's the other type, which develops in overweight adults. It's treated at least for a while with lifestyle therapy and non-insulin medication. Other types of diabetes, of which there are several, include high blood sugar that develops at any time during pregnancy in a woman who does not already have diabetes. To discuss dealing with diabetes, diet and daily living, how family caregivers help, our guests are Dr. Ian Bloomer and Kim Banting. Ian is medical advisor and director of the Charles H. Best Diabetes Centre and has a teaching appointment with the University of Toronto. He's a member of the executive of the Canadian Diabetes Association and won the association's special dedication award. He's authored or co-authored books including What Your Doctor Really Thinks, Diabetes for Canadians for Dummies, Diabetes Cookbook for Canadians for Dummies, Understanding Prescription Drugs for Canadians for Dummies, and Celiac Disease for Dummies. And also, under the pen name Sidney Gale, he's published the young adult novel, Unto the Breach. Kim Banting is a registered nutritional consultant who began her, her own business, Flourish, in 2009. Previously, she'd been a personal chef. Working with a client using a whole foods diet and witnessing his health improvements convinced her to go back to school 
to marry her passion for food with optimal wellness. Now she strives to educate her clients about the impact food has on their individual health. She believes that it's possible to improve any health condition by choosing the correct food to suit the person's biochemical individuality. So welcome to the show, Ian and Kim. Hi. Thanks, Gordon. Okay. So let's go. I'm going to start with Ian first. Ian, please tell us more about your personal background, professional career, and any personal experience you have of family caregiving. Well, I can tell you after hearing your introduction of Kim, I'm feeling very hungry. <laughs> Away you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I've worked as a diabetes specialist for almost three decades, which I find uh, quite mind-boggling when I think about it. And um, diabetes, you know, really, it, it's so topical in terms of the, the what we're talking about now because diabetes I've always looked at as being a whole family issue. It's not like appendicitis where one person is ill, they go under the knife, they're cured, they get better, that's it. Living with diabetes really requires a supportive team around you. And the most essential element of that team is having a, a nurturing, mentoring, supportive family. You know, people I see with diabetes who feel like they're doing it on their own, they have such a tougher time of things. People who live with, with, with helpful friends and family, coworkers, colleagues, they tend to do better because they feel like there's always someone there to give them a helping hand to work with them and striving to successful living. Ian, just a quick follow-up. Do you have any, in your family, any, any experience of family caregiving in any, of any kind? Absolutely. You know, as my parents are getting older, it's become a real issue. My uh, my mom's had some uh, problems with uh, cognition, with thinking, and I can tell you it's been such an incredible struggle. My, You know, my, my dad, a wonderful guy, you know, he, he was always the one who didn't have to worry about doing anything except going off to work, and my mom did everything. And now the tables have turned, and all of a sudden my father is the main caregiver for my mom, and they're both all, you know, in their late 80s. And it's it's amazing to see how my dad has pulled through. It's really, you know, I, I keep thinking, you know, how would I do if all of a sudden after 60 years of marriage the roles are reversed? And, I, you know, it's just such an impressive, amazing thing to to see how he's handled things. You know, the rest of us are there helping out, but... Uh, the main responsibility has fallen on my on my father's shoulders, so that's been the most recent uh, tumult in our family life. Got it. Um, a story I've heard in over and over. Kim, please tell us more about your personal background, your professional career, and any personal experience you have of family caregiving. Okay. Well, um, I have always had a passion, as long as I can remember back to childhood, remember um, a passion and a love for real food. And that stemmed from having a family garden and making everything from scratch. And lo and behold, I turned into a professional chef. Um, and like you said, Gordon, with that, new, with that one client I had who was working with a holistic doctor, the discussions really intrigued me. And I ended up back at school again, about 30 years old, and training in holistic nutrition. And what I learned in that school was so eye-opening for me, and it made a lot of sense. Um, we tend to ignore our health until it's too late, and then we rush to our doctor, and we expect miracle cures while we continue on a destructive path. 
um, I learned that I really want to be responsible for my own health. And while I was studying, I was my own guinea pig. I radically changed my own diet and lifestyle, and I saw my own health improve exponentially. All of these innocuous, vague complaints I had had for years all of a sudden were gone. Um, I got my certification in 2009, and I started my own home-based practice. I see my clients in my office. Um, I also love getting out in the community to educate the public. I particularly like uh, volunteering with seniors and children. Uh, I think that there's a lot that needs to be done for this, these two groups. Um, I do wellness workshops, community fairs. I volunteer my time at the Children's Garden in High Park. Um, this year I co-launched my first ever women's retreat to pr promote nurturing and supporting the self. And when it comes to caregiving, um, well, I'm a mother, first and foremost, and um, my daughter has anxiety, so that's, that's an issue that we've been dealing with here at home. Um, but with my clients, I, my role is to support them and their family in making lasting change. And like Ian was saying, the most important factor for a family with diabetes or any health condition really is that the family is a strong support system. It's a united front. Um, I educate the family about the causes and the effects of the disease, all the options they have in treating it and managing it, encouraging them to be responsible and accountable for their own health, and helping them create flexible boundaries so that the family can realistically work this into their daily lives um, is crucial. Right. Now, that's a very good description of your work in, in, as it relates to diabetes in generally. So I'm going to ask Ian to tell us about his work, Ian, your work, as it relates to diabetes. Well, I, you know, I always say, Gord, that I, I consider myself the luckiest guy on the planet because I've been doing the same job for 30 years, and I love each and every day. And each person I see is unique and special, and the way in which I assist them changes based on the individual. And I, you know, I get up in the morning and look forward to going to work. I, I really enjoy it. And I think it's because I see so much there is that can be done to help people living with diabetes to live not only in a healthier way, not only in a way that prolongs life and avoids complications, but in a way that makes life easier. Like living with diabetes is never easy. I can't imagine anybody with diabetes saying, oh, it's a breeze to have diabetes. It's not. It's a ton of work. But there's ways of making it more manageable. Uh, more livable, more flexible. There's always other options. And, you know, I see so many, I mean, I've been this, <laughs> doing this a long time, and I see so many people come in to see me for the first time, despondent, frustrated, glucose levels are out of control. They feel like their, their, their life is in upheaval and they're worried about complications. And by working with them, making sure there's a supportive team, making sure that there's a, a, a dietitian and a diabetes nurse educator involved and so forth, there's always ways of improving things. And, you know, regardless of, of how frustrated or upset a person is when they first come in, invariably, I think, they leave more optimistic, realizing that we can make things better. Both of you come across as, first of all, very committed to your work in the sense that it does matter to you both. You both have substantial input into the lives of the people you're providing care to that go beyond what I would call the sort of medical or technical 
aspects of care and that what I'm hearing from you both is that you get satisfaction back because you feel that things are going well for the people or going as well as they can do for the people you're looking after. Now, I don't have time to ask you to respond to me for that because um, we work, unfortunately, um, to our own problem of the tyranny of time. So it is that time when we have to take the short break, but we're coming back. So this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, my guests are Dr. Ian Bloomer <clears throat> and Kim Banting. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Variety and Empowerment Channels. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you ready for real change in your life? Deep down inside you is a magnificent being just looking to break free. Tune in to Manifesting Abundance with Deborah Loran and Jim Del Vecchio. Most people need to make some minor adjustments in attitude and behavior to achieve alignment with their inner being. Jim and Deborah will help outline these changes and give you the steps you need to create some major improvements in your life. Listen for Manifesting Abundance Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you lost, fed up, knowing you're better and yet not knowing why? Let Derek O'Neill transform the not knowing into the knowing by showing you the way. Whether it's not being able to drop the excess weight to unhealthy relationships or finances that you know you deserve. Derek provides insights that are like magnets to invite what you want in your life and repel what you don't want. Tune into Derek now to discover how to improve your life immediately and unleash the winner that you know you are and others need to see. Listen Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Ian Bloomer and Kim Banting. Our topic is dealing with diabetes, diet and daily living, how family caregivers help. So let's now talk about diabetes and the ways in which unhealthy diet and lifestyle, unhealthy lifestyle, interact with it. So Ian, what are the trends in diabetes and how much are unhealthy diet and lifestyle choices influencing these trends? Well, there's a very sad trend going on, Gordon. So with type 2 diabetes in particular, and you very nicely capsulized it at the outset of, your, uh, of, of this uh, show by saying it tends to occur in middle-aged or older people, typically, but not always people that are overweight and sedentary. 
And type 2 diabetes has become uh, epidemic around the world. There's hundreds of millions of people living with diabetes. And in some locations, like in, in the province in which I live in Canada, but almost 10% of people have type 2 diabetes. It's huge numbers, and it's going up all the time. And it, there's probably a, you know, a whole host of different factors, but just as you alluded to, the predominant, not exclusive, but predominant ones are eating in unhealthy ways, eating too many calories, um, being overweight, and not exercising enough. And there's almost like a conspiracy in the way society is designed to encourage us to eat uh, in unhealthy ways. And, and, you know, we rely on our cars more and more. You know, suburbs are designed to discourage physical activity and encourage getting in the car. You know, I look where I live, you know, just to go out and, and, and get a, a liter of milk. I mean, it's really something that requires getting in the car. So there's been a terrible upward trend in the number of people worldwide, not just the West, in, in South Asia and Asia, like everywhere in the world, there's increasing rates of type 2 diabetes. And it is. I mean, there's genetics involved, of course, but there is a strong uh, impact in terms of uh, lifestyle. Kim, it's a similar question, but a little bit different. In what ways do you think unhealthy diet and unhealthy nutrition are really a matter of unhealthy lifestyle, especially for children with diabetes? Kim? Well, I see the, the diet and the lifestyle as one thing. Um, your diet is a reflection of your lifestyle in so many cases. And our lifestyles today are so strongly influenced by marketing. Uh, Western society is built on a model that's um, it, it's fast and convenient, right? Everybody wants everything yesterday, and they don't want to have to work too hard to get it. Um, this invites a cheap food model, and this is a very profitable business. Unfortunately, this cheap food model is very addictive for the consumer. Um, we know um, we know from a study that I was uh, reading about that disease begins in childhood. All of the markers um, that show, like, uh, meta the metabolic characteristics that adults generally have in disease, children have all of these things, high lipids, too much insulin, the beginnings of liver and heart disease, um, and this high, high risk of diabetes. Uh, we never thought 15 years ago that we'd be seeing children developing type 2 diabetes. But today it's common. It, it's, it's shockingly common. And... Um, the causes of the high insulin are your genes, stress, lack of sleep, diet, and a lack of activity. Of these five causes, four of them are lifestyle. So um, let's look. There's been a shift in our lifestyle that's occurred over those past 15 years. Something that I've noticed is we stopped letting our children go outdoors unsupervised. Our children are watching more and more TV, and they're very sedentary. Add to this um, all of the ad exposure that they have. Um, there's over $1.5 billion spent every year marketing to children, and children develop brand loyalty. They're impressionable. Um, sugary beverages are one of the most, uh, the most ads that they see which is so sad because we know that these sugary beverages are one of the hugest culprits in developing type 2 diabetes. Um, you know, sometimes marketing foods to children that suggest that it might be healthy when it actually isn't. 
So they might say that a sugary cereal is made with whole grains, but it has 10 or 12 grams of sugar in it. Um, fruit drinks made with 100% real juice, but it's just really sugar. Um, so here's a difference between knowledge and understanding. Our food supply has changed more in the past 50 years than the previous 10,000. And this, you know, the idea that this is even a topic of discussion is a sign of how far removed I think that we've become from our health and the food that we eat. Right. Now, I'm going to pick up on that by asking Ian, please. Ian, what are the ways in which diabetes harms people? And what changes should family caregivers watch out for in children and vulnerable adults with diabetes? Ian? Well, you know, what, what, I, what I'd like to say is the, the well-controlled diabetes typically causes nothing. That if someone has diabetes but they follow a healthy lifestyle, eat in a healthy way, exercise, are at a good weight, keep their blood sugars well controlled, use appropriate medications, then they can live full, active, long lives and the likelihood is strong. They'll be at lower or very low or even no risk of complications. But insufficiently controlled diabetes is, of course, the problematic thing. And if people have high blood glucose levels that are staying high for month after month, year after year, decade after decade, that causes damage to the small blood vessels that feed oxygen to the eyes, to the kidneys. Um, so, so people with uncontrolled diabetes can run into problems with eye damage, even blindness, with kidney failure, with amputations, and men erectile dysfunction, heart attacks, strokes, all sorts of terrible things. But I always tell people, that doesn't have to happen. Complications are not inevitable. So yes, diabetes causes those things, but I always put the qualifier on saying uncontrolled diabetes causes those things or insufficiently controlled diabetes. So anybody with diabetes, whether you're five years old or 10 or 50 or 90, has to eat, just as Kim said, in a, in a healthy way, has to be physically active, and everybody can be physically active. Even people with limitations can find activities with the appropriate you know, teaching of how to do it um, and can work toward weight control if they're overweight. Um, it's important that everybody with diabetes have their blood sugar levels monitored. Sometimes that's done by a finger prick testing machine called a blood glucose meter. Sometimes it's by lab tests. They need to have their eyes checked regularly by an eye specialist. They need to have their kidney function checked with urine testing and blood testing. They need to have their ability to sense sensation and their feet checked by appropriate testing in the doctor's office or even by themselves. The doctor or diabetes educator can teach them. So it's really a cooperative effort between the healthcare team, but more importantly, the individual living with diabetes. They need to know what to, you know, how to live their lives. They also, I think, need to know what tests should be done and how often. You can't be a passive consumer of health care. So I encourage anybody with diabetes or the family of someone, if it's a young person or a person that can't, can't look after themselves uh, without, you know, mentoring, um, I think it's important that everybody know what needs to be done and when. And that requires a lot of homework. Um, but you can't, you know, as, uh, as sometimes I'll get into trouble for saying this, although it hasn't happened yet, but you can't rely on the healthcare team to always do the right thing, to always know what test needs to be done and when. So I think everybody living with diabetes and parents of children living with diabetes need to do their homework, need to do their due diligence and find out what needs to be done when and make sure it gets done. Right. 
Kim, how do nutritionists recognize when an unhealthy diet, unhealthy lifestyle is becoming harmful for children and vulnerable adults with diabetes? Okay. Um, I'm going to share um, an example of three families that I've been, I've been coming across. So my first family is an average family. Two parents are working. There's three kids. They're enrolled in numerous extracurricular activities. And on any given day, one parent or the other rushes home from work, grabs the kids, and is off for the night. They return at bedtime. It's a rush to get the kids showered and off to sleep. Now, on the surface, this looks like a healthy, active family. But where on earth are they fitting in the time to do any shopping or cooking a healthy meal? Um, unless these families have a strong support system, like an extended family or older children, they're eating a lot of fast food. Now, here it's not necessarily the case that the child is at risk for developing diabetes, but the stressed-out parent, um, and there's a really strong connection between stress and type 2 diabetes. So I try and work with these people, help them find balance in their lives where they can make the time because cooking, cooking real food and not relying on fast food is vital. Um, another family I know is a lower-income family, truly struggling to afford um, the necessary food that they need for good health. We all know it's cheaper to buy a fast food burger than a head of broccoli. Um, the single mom works really long hours. Sometimes she's working two jobs, and the, kil- the kids are often left by themselves at home, sitting in front of the TV or computer. Um, and when they're by themselves, they're not choosing a healthy option, even if it is available. So what do I want to do? I want to get these kids involved in after-school community programs. Uh, there are some great programs for kids, and there's actually wonderful cooking with kids programs that are available um, if you look into that. Um, and the bonus is they got a free healthy meal out of, out of their activity. Um, Learning how to make good use of a local food bank would be a really good option, too, because then the extra money that the mother has, she can use to prepare healthier meals on that budget. Um, And the last one, and this was a real shocker for me, but new immigrant families, particularly South Asians um, and the school-aged children, uh, the parents are looking for their kids to fit in with other students, and so they resort to sending them to school with highly processed, sugary, salty snacks. Um, I've witnessed this personally uh, within my daughter's school. Um, There are several kids in her class that truly every day come to school with leftover uh, fast food. They might have a can of pop and a chocolate bar or a bag of chips. This is is the extent of their lunches. Um, and when I asked around, I wanted to know what's going on here, and it was about these families feeling like they didn't want their children to stand out if they brought ethnic food to school, um, and so they're resorting to this this type of food. And we know that South Asians are also genetically predisposed to developing type 2 diabetes. Um, so I really want to find a way to communicate with these people and get some knowledge out there fast. Right. Now, once again, we uh, are going into our short break. Thank you both for those very clear positions, and we're going to explore 
some of those things in more detail in the next segment. So let's take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guests are Dr. Ian Bloomer and Kim Banting. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Variety and Empowerment channels. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Ian Bloomer and Kim Banting. Our topic is dealing with diabetes, diet and daily living, how family caregivers help. So now let's talk about things that family caregivers should know when a close family member has diabetes or is at risk of it. So, Ian, please would you tell us, say what the key things are that family caregivers should know about the benefits of a healthy diet and lifestyle when somebody in the family has diabetes. Um, sure, Gordon. So I think the, the key thing there, and I love the way you worded it, it's, it's family, and it's all about family, especially if you're dealing with children or vulnerable adults. And I think it's a great, I bet Kim will agree, I think it's a great way for kids and adults, too, for that matter, to learn about healthy eating, to go to the grocery store collectively, even with a five-year-old you know, or an eight-year-old, and start pointing out what healthy food choices are. And, you know, I've seen so many people over the years with type 2, let's, uh, we're focusing on type 2 here, um, so many people who had insufficient blood glucose control, their numbers were way up higher than they should be. And once they found the wherewithal with the support of their family to improve their nutrition, to start to exercise, to lose weight, their blood glucose levels came way down. And in fact, I remember a patient so well who was a Vietnam War vet 
who, with the support of his family, decided that he'd had enough of taking all sorts of medications and insulin. And he came in to see me after not having seen me for a year, and he'd lost, in a healthy way, 50 pounds. He was off all his medications except for high blood pressure medication, and his blood sugars were spectacular. And it just reminded me how for type 2 diabetes, appropriate lifestyle change, nutrition, exercise is so much more powerful than the drugs I use. You know, there's most people, even with those changes, still require medication to keep their blood sugars well controlled. But really, lifestyle change is so predominant. So, you know, people have to learn basics. You know, those of us, and I, I do not have diabetes myself, and I realize how spoiled I am when I see that the changes that people living with diabetes families make, when they have to learn what the difference is between carbs and proteins and fats and trans fats and cholesterol and omega, I mean, there's so much to learn. And they have to have the right proportion of the different types of nutrients in their diet. And I think family shopping together, learning this under the mentorship of a good dietitian is essential. And I think vulnerable adults can also be assisted by family. And people can go for a walk together. You know, I tell, I tell you know, some of the older parents, I say, grandparents, I say, hey, you know, you need to start exercising. Take your child with you. Instead of, as Kim said, they spend too much time in front of the TV, I said, take them with you. Go to the Y together. Go out for a walk together. Go biking together. Make it a, a family affair in the most positive of ways. Right. Kim, please tell us what the key things are that family caregivers should know about ensuring good nutrition for children and vulnerable adults with diabetes. Kim? Okay. Um, well, I guess for me, it's not enough to simply just manage the disease state, but I also want to help people learn that they can actually heal their body. So it's amazing um, how much healing can take place when a dietary approach is taken. Like, uh, I love that Ian supports me in this because he's right. Um, your diet and lifestyle is the number one your number one tool or weapon against diabetes. Um, and this is because the food that we eat is information for our body cells. It, that food communicates with our cells and tells them how they're going to function or if they're going to function or malfunction. We are made of the same living, the same materials as the plants and animal foods that we're eating. So the right types of foods and the correct portion sizes are necessary to promote the health and balance in a diabetic patient. Um, and I'm talking about living foods, and those are foods that rot. We already know white rice, white pasta, white bread. We know that story. It's dead food. But so is 90% of the other food that's found in the average grocery store. Any food with a very long shelf life, it's dead. It doesn't have living nutrients in it. Um, these foods lack fiber, and we know that that's important for managing diabetes, but they're also lacking vit vitamins, minerals, and phytochemicals that help bring balance to the body. All of these nutrients are necessary for the correct signaling and messaging in the body to occur. So for me, I think the most important thing for the caregiver to understand is that food in its most natural and intact form the way you would pick it off a plant is the way we're supposed to eat it. Every stage of the refining process removes more and more of the valuable nutrients. And adding vitamins and minerals back in to the highly processed food isn't a viable substitute. So diabetes is a metabolic disease. 
and metabolic diseases are connected to our utilization of food, how our body uses the food. And they arrive uh, because dietary nutrients or some sort of element is missing. And metabolic diseases, they can be managed by taking medications, but they're not going to be solved by anything other than the missing nutrients, which come from food. Right. Um, okay. I'm going to stop you there because I want to make sure that we have time to deal with another couple of questions. Right. Um, now, Ian, to you, how, why and how should a healthy lifestyle include the ways in which persons with diabetes and their family caregivers interact with their physicians and the healthcare system? Well, I think part of, part of the problem is most healthcare providers are not sufficiently well-versed in lifestyle change, in nutrition, and exercise. And that's true everywhere. You know, I travel around the, the world lecturing, and it doesn't matter whether I'm talking to physicians here in India and Japan. It doesn't matter. That's not part of our basic training. And I think it's important that healthcare providers be aware of what our limitations are. And our area of expertise isn't as exercise therapists. So, in, in fact, the Canadian Diabetes Association, we, um, you know, as part of our clinical practice guidelines, we recently launched a program to make healthcare providers more aware of exercise. And I think it's important that family members, family caregivers, when they speak to healthcare providers, don't assume that doctors or nurses or dietitians or social workers know all there is to know about the different aspects of exercise, for example. And they may need to look it up online. They may need to meet with an exercise therapist or exercise physiologist. These are organizations you can look up online or ask to be referred to. And again, it's a matter of, of, of being actively involved. And I mentioned, you know, a moment ago, if you have a, a child that they you know, encourage them to play soccer, they can, sure, they can play Nintendo and all that stuff too, but they have to have equal portions of activity. And, uh, you know, one thing I've discovered over the years, I was fascinated. There was some great research that showed that even older people, and, you know, we've been using the term vulnerable people, who let's say they have limitations because of back pain or arthritis or whatever, that there's still ways of exercising that can help, such as upper limb uh, exercising, you know, holding soup cans, for example, and, and, you know, just flexing and extending your arm repeatedly, you know, but doing it in a a sensible uh, way with appropriate uh, teaching and supervision. There's always ways, and, and again, not to be cynical about healthcare providers, because I think the great majority do a great job, but I think it's important for families to realize that if the only healthcare provider you're seeing is your family doctor, general practitioner, etc., that they're not experts in everything. And they may not be experts in how to supply you with appropriate nutrition advice or exercise advice. Right. Kim, what are the ways in which family caregivers can promote healthy nutrition as part of a healthy lifestyle for children and young persons. Now, that's an extension of the answer you were giving me when I interrupted you. So please just yeah. go into that. Okay. Where you go. Um, well, first and foremost, I think the parents and the older siblings need to play the role of, or play the part, rather, of a role model to the younger family members. It's going to be really hard to convince your kids to eat well if they're not seeing us do it, right? Um, planting a family garden, even a small one, and getting the kids involved in choosing what to plant, getting them helping with the weeding and the watering, 
um, it gets them excited. They, kids get really excited about growing food. Um, cook and eat meals together as often as possible. And if you're a busy family, so many of us are, uh, you might have to get creative and organized, but try and make it happen at least a couple nights a week. Um, Ian said, uh, grocery shopping together. This is wonderful. Uh, send your kids around to choose fruits and vegetables they want. Uh, I always get my daughter to choose five fruits and vegetables that she'll take in her lunch. And this is less arguing and no wasted lunches when I get her to do this. Um, Shift away from the idea of food or treats for a reward and move towards the image of food as as medicine and nourishment and a source of good health. Giving our kids treats when they've been good instills that habit for life. And food is really addictive, especially the types of foods that are really bad for our health. This creates a snowball effect. Every time something goes well, the kids want something to reward themselves with. Uh, and the same is true for using food as a distraction from one unwanted behavior. It leads to comfort eating later in life. And our brains are wired to focus on whatever we think is the most important stimuli at the time. And because of our past experience with specific foods, sight, smell, location, time of day, these are all cues and triggers that will anticipate us uh, to have cravings. Every time you get that cue and you respond to it, you're reinforcing and strengthening the neural circuits in your brain, and it's really hard to undo that once it's done. Right. Very strong messages, um, crucial messages in many ways, but you're both stressing that knowing more, taking uh, an understanding and motivating towards the healthy food, the healthy lifestyle um, is a crucial treatment. I'm going to use the word treatment deliberately for type 2 diabetes. Um, I think I think you're absolutely right. It is considered treatment. You know, there's medical nutrition therapy and exercise therapy. You know, if we have a chance, Gordon, I would like to, you know, make sure that we talk about appropriate safety in terms of drug therapy and, and uh, blood glucose emergencies in vulnerable adults and in children as well. Right. Now, we're going to have to go to the break, but please introduce those points when we come back into segment four. So let's take the break now. It's Dr. Gordon Adley and my guests are Dr. Ian Bloomer and Kim Banting. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's variety and empowerment channels. Stay tuned. We're coming back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you are having difficulty balancing everything in your life, be sure to tune in to Change is Personal with Kim Fuller. Each week, we'll help you do your own self-assessment to handling relationships, family, life challenges, health, and personal goals. Kim and her guests share from experiences and offer advice and resources to keep your life on track. Change is Personal with Kim Fuller can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and start having a fuller life. We let so many outside factors mold and shape our lives. Technology, instant delivery. We live in an on-demand world. What's happened to the compassion, the kindness, a better pace? Listen to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. We'll bring that kindness and compassion back to our world. 
Our guests come from around the world and will discuss what's being done and what we can do to bring our lives back to order. Might Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Ian Bloomer and Kim Banting. Our topic is dealing with diabetes, diet and daily living, how family caregivers help. Now let's talk about increasing attention to diet and lifestyle in the prevention and care of diabetes. So Kim, starting with you, what more do you want to see done to advance attention to diet and lifestyle for children, adults and vulnerable seniors with diabetes or the risk? Kim? Okay, well, this is a good one because I'm an activist and uh, what I want is more education about real food and more disclosure about the harmful effects of packaged foods and processed foods. With diabetes being the top, in the top three most common diseases today, it's directly connected to obesity and heart disease, which are both leading killers in Western society. All three of these are directly connected again to the food that we eat and our lifestyle choices. All of them are preventable, um, but not enough information is shared or only select information is shared. And sometimes it's downright confusing for parents or anybody who's doing the grocery shopping to know what's good and what isn't. Um, When marketing is... Uh, corporations are allowed to market something as being as suggesting that it's healthy when it's not, right? I mentioned before, like 100% real juice, low fat or low in sugar. Well, low fat, low in sugar, that doesn't tell me what they've replaced the mouthfeel or the sweetness with, right? And sometimes those are harmful chemicals that create inflammation in the body. Um, High fiber, a lot of times that's inulin, which really doesn't provide any nutritional benefit. It's, it's not like the soluble or insoluble fibers that we want in our bodies. Um, you so know, I'm going to, Kim, I'm going to stop you at that point because I want to take Ian basically to the same question. What more he wants, you want to see done, Ian, okay. to advance attention to diet and lifestyle for children, adults, vulnerable seniors, and so on. Ian, what, what do you want to see done? Well, by the time I see a person, if they're 40 or 50 and they've lived a certain way for so many decades, it's awfully tough to change. It's tough to change one's life when, you, when you're so many years into it. So I think it's important that children from day one don't see exercise as being formalized exercise. It's just part of daily living the way it used to be. And I think in the same way English and math are compulsory, I think daily exercise. It shouldn't be considered like it was when I was a kid. Oh, it's the big treat. You go out for No, it's just part of daily living. Every day at school, 
from the first day of nursery school to the day you finish high school or university, every day there should be exercise classes, I put in quotes. It just be fun, active stuff. There's more and more work, thankfully, being done in schools to get lesser quality foods and, 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 and so forth out of the cafeterias, replacing it in there and in the vending machines with healthier choices. And I think if kids from day one grow up like that, then they'll maintain those better lifestyle traits as they get older. I think ultimately the big changes in society are likely to happen when it's just in started that way, indoctrinated that way from day one, rather than just expecting people at the age of 50 or 60 or 70 to suddenly get up and be able to change the way they've been living. Right. Kim, what's your message to family caregivers with a family member with diabetes? Kim? Okay. Well, I think um, the best message is that prevention is the best medicine. Um, Right now, we are living to eat, and I want people to eat to live. So what I want is for people to start taking more responsibility and accountability for their health, choose to move towards health as opposed to away from disease, um, because the people that move towards health tend to make their own decisions because they know it's good for them. Take baby steps, um, begin eliminating the foods that you know are bad for you and slowly start adding in the new foods that are good for you. You'll start to feel better and you'll want to make the healthier choices. Right. Ian, what's your message to family caregivers? I think it's to realize how incredibly impactful being a supportive, nurturing family member is. And many people with diabetes, parents may not realize it, siblings may not realize it, but people living with diabetes often feel like they're in isolation, they're in it on their own, they don't, may not have friends or, or relatives they know with diabetes. And I think if family members realize how incredibly impactful they can be, and, and as long as they're mentoring, you know, there's something called the diabetes police, where it's a matter of constantly haranguing people, don't do that, don't eat that, don't eat that, that's not the way to do it. It has to be supportive and helpful and nurturing, eating in the same healthy way as the person living with diabetes, rather than saying, okay, this is our dinner. Oh, but Joe, you eat differently. I mean, living with diabetes in, in terms of lifestyle is just living in a healthy way. Now, what you're both saying is empowering family caregivers with a very powerful message um, that they are the agents of treatment obviously in in type 1 diabetes medical care is essential in in the prevention and caring for diabetes too on the other hand the focus is on all the things you've been talking about finding out understanding lifestyle what to eat the movement as you've both been saying um, to understanding that it's you have control. Family caregivers have control. People with diabetes, to have control. Now, very quickly, that was a summary by me. Um, starting with you, Kim, first, just quickly, do you agree with what I just said? Absolutely. Right. Ian, do you agree with what I've said, and do you want, any, want to add anything to it? Oh, heavens, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I can't imagine anybody would disagree with that sensible summary. The only thing, and I'll be, you know, mention this very briefly, we've talked about the impact of, of mentoring and lifestyle change, but I think it's also important that everybody in your audience know that that 
is to be, in almost all cases, complemented, especially in adults, with medication therapy. That's not as if lifestyle therapy is important as it is obviates the need for other forms of therapy, such as medication. And there's all sorts of ways of helping vulnerable adults, like blister packing medication so that they don't forget doses. Uh, if someone is an elderly person and they're not, they're looking under the weather, making sure that their blood sugar is checked. They may not have the wherewithal to check it themselves. And if it's extraordinarily elevated, to make sure you call a physician and get attention. So I think it's a combination of healthy living in a supportive environment and use of other healthcare resources, nurses, dietitians, physicians, making sure you're on appropriate medications. It's, it's one huge, big, complex package, but it's not only doable theoretically, it's doable in reality. It has to be. Right. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this episode, so I want to say thank you to Ian and Kim for everything. It wasn't just a matter of you sharing your experience and your insights and your advice. It was a matter of empowering family caregivers appropriately, uh, empowering them to understand more of the things they need to understand and to recognize that medications have a place, an important place, but to ensure that they communicate with their physicians, their healthcare system providers in such a way that they themselves are further empowered in what they're doing. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear from you about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode, we'll talk about dementia and family caregiving, unmasking the spouse's grief. So please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.